One more hour to go on Wesson Walker. You're listening to Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. I'm done. Fitty yeah, let's is, just skip it because we can't even he's begin. He's the worst. No, we can't talk about it. We yeah. can't. Fitty, you're the worst. I tried to be professional. Usually, feel pretty good about myself being professional as much as possible, moving on from whatever happens during the break. <laughs> but I saw you laugh. You're dying laughing. No, we can't. I'm sorry for teasing everybody and no we are not going to be pleasing that tease not at all we cannot talk about it we have one more hour to go i'm going to try to bring myself together and talk some nba because the charlotte hornets sale it's official the nba's board of governors approved the sale of the hornets to a group led by of course rick schnall and gabe plotkin the guys that you've heard about before it clears the way to end michael jordan's 13-year run as majority owner of the charlotte hornets now the Board of Governors vote. It was approved 29 to 1. 29 in favor of it. Only one owner voted against the sale of the Charlotte Hornets. And yep, it's an NBA governor that you know about, James Dolan. Clown show. New York Knicks Governor James Dolan registered the lone vote against Gay Plotkin, Rick Schnall, taking over for. The New York. Why would you even do that? What what would provoke you to vote no? Beef. It would have to be beef. This is very easy. No, James Dolan. As a Nick fan, I can I can talk about him. He's an egotistical maniac. He is, and um, he knows now with MJ gone, he's he's clearly the worst owner in the NBA, and he doesn't like that because when people call him names, he starts whining and pouting and. Throws Bernard King out of uh, out of the garden and stuff like that. You're talking about Charles Oakley or oh, is yeah, Bernard? Oh, yeah, it was Charles, Charles Oakley. Oakley. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I I got the Nick yeah. Legends messed up that he's pissed off in his time as the Nick owner. <laughs> but that's what it was. It was it was just an ego trip where he's like, crap. Now I, I'm the worst owner in the National Basketball Association. Uh, so my question is, if there was my question is if there's any beef between Plotkin, Schnall, and James Dolan because we can remember when Matt Ishbia purchased the Phoenix Suns. I think he only had one vote against that sale, and I think it was uh, Dan Gilbert of Cleveland. And I listened to a podcast that he did with Bill Simmons, and Ishbia talked about how he and Gilbert do not get along. And so even if it was never going to be enough votes to keep Ishbia out of the NBA, he knew that he'd probably get a veto from Dan Gilbert, and that's what ended up happening. So I don't know if there's anything between Dolan and Plotkin or Schnall, but it doesn't matter. The sale is approved. Michael Jordan... No longer going to be the majority owner of the Charlotte Hornets team. Wes, how much do you think the fan base is ready to move on from that regime that has not been very fruitful in terms of success by any stretch, really? We got to the playoffs a couple times, never won a playoff series, ever. In the second iteration of this franchise, after the first one left for New Orleans, the Bobcats slash Hornets, they never won a playoff series. How thirsty do you think the fan base is for a new regime? Oh, I think they're big time thirsty. And I think it's just because it's more based on hope and faith. They just feel like that maybe uh, getting MJ out that did not meet their expectations. And now they're just hoping and they're going to have faith that this just can't continue. A dog has to get the bone at some point. The broken clock has to be right (laughs) at some point. And so I feel like this is how Charlotte's fans feel. They're like, man, listen, we can't keep enduring this type of stuff. So hopefully with this change, something's good. Something good is going to come out of this and that we can finally start winning some basketball games and get a culture going here. You would like to think that. And so that's why I think they're at, man, because this fan base wants to win. They've been ready to win for a long time. This has to be one of the most deprived 
uh, franchises in NBA history when you just talk about the lack of playoff success. Yeah, absolutely it is. I mean, it's just, that is a fact. This is one of the worst performing playoff teams in NBA history, having not gotten there. Sacramento ended their drought. They had a real long one as far as winning a playoff series goes. You have to go to that Chris Webber time and Pejo Stoyakovich, and that was a lot of fun. And then they didn't even get to the playoffs forever long. And here they are getting the three seed in the Western Conference and having a fun young team right now. Now it's Charlotte that everybody's going to point at, right? Like you, you did have that group. Where was Charlotte? It was the Clippers. It was the Sacramento Kings. And now everybody's pointing at Charlotte as one of the teams that just does not make the postseason real consistently. And if they do, they're not winning a playoff series. I hope it changes as well. We've talked about Michael Jordan's tenure as the owner. I think there was a lot of really helpful things that he did for the community. We can talk about his philanthropy. I went in detail on a lot of that when the sale did come in, when Adrian Wojnarowski did report that he was going to sell, most likely to Plotkin and Schnall, since that would become official. We talked a lot about what he did philanthropically within the community and even nationally. I think that was a big-time changed man type of thing for Michael Jordan yeah. compared to what he was about during his playing days, which is fine, whatever, but not the same guy. I think that growth was interesting. On the court, there's not much success to speak of. Some of it, as I mentioned in my tweet when it happened, some of it sensationalized, but a lot of it justified. A lot of it justified as to what Michael's meddling did and did not do for the Charlotte Hornets and the lack of hiring the right people in order to get this job done. Rich Cho, not a good decision maker being the GM of this team. Mitch Kupchak better. Mitch Kupchak better. But... I don't think amazing. The draft history is pretty good, but the free agent decisions, him and his messaging, I think messaging matters to the fan base and he hasn't been great at the whole microphone thing. So we'll see what happens with this new ownership group coming in and most likely making changes. I mean, Wes, do you see a a world where Mitch Kupchak stays on as the general manager and Steve Clifford stays here for more than a couple of seasons? Or do you think this is going to be one more season of these guys in their roles, and then Plotkin and Schnall decide to move on? Uh, yeah, I think they're going to move on from them at some point. I don't think they have many days left as far as just, and I say many days just thinking about it uh, metaphorically as far as years is concerned. I think that they're going to want to move on, and I think at some point maybe the new ownership at least for the fans' sake, wants to go big game hunting. They don't want to just sit around and just be a mediocre to bad franchise. I mean, since 2000, the Hornets have only been to the playoffs five times, and so that's got to change. Five times in 22, 23 years is just not cutting it. So I think that hopefully that's what this ownership group has the mind frame of, that they want to go big game hunting with the air quotes. I don't think that they're going to keep them there. I think their, uh, their time is 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 definitely numbered here and I think they'll probably go one more season and if things just don't go really really well I think they're going to be gone one or both well let me ask you what big game hunting means to you because I think in this context what most people would mean for the Charlotte Hornets specifically I think it would look a lot like signing Gordon Hayward on more of an expensive contract than what the Pacers were willing to pay him because you are bringing in an all-star he was monetarily the biggest free agent signing that the Charlotte Hornets team has ever had. Impact-wise, I would say that's more Al Jefferson because he was an all-NBA player his first season with the Bobcats. But Gordon Hayward was a lot of money. So do you want more signings like that, maybe for someone that isn't as injury-prone? 
Or do you want the Donovan Mitchell thing? And we've talked about that. They didn't have enough assets. And I know you've talked about some under-the-table stuff Michael could have done. But you won't have that with Plotkin and Schnall now. Mm -hmm. So now with this group coming in, what what kind of big game hunting are you talking about? Uh, just the fact of seeing their name in in the the newspaper, so to speak, just saying that they tried to go out and get said player, whatever superstar it is, whatever franchise changing player it could be that yay. You know, reports coming out to Charlotte, they're really trying to make a move, like having that type of mentality. And then it's like you end up settling for guys that can end up helping you that could end up being really good. I think uh, this is the season that you kind of figure out your core. You know, LaMelo's at the head of that. Brandon Miller has to be by default being the number two pick of the draft. Is Miles Davis going to be one of those guys if he does end up staying, if he's not too upset about the qualifying offer? But if not, do you make a drastic move to go out and add a third star because you're hoping that Brandon Miller is going to be that second star here? You've got Mark Williams that looks to be a really good player as well, but are you going to make a move either by the All-Star break or uh, during the next offseason to go out and try to get a play that you perceive and that's perceived by the fans as a difference maker, a true difference maker that can put you – into maybe that five, six range, four to six range, so to speak. That's what I mean by big game hunting and at least being a team that's mentioned amongst the teams that are going after some of the uh, huge stars of the game if they're when they become available. Well, and you look at ESPN's main page on the ESPN, on the NBA tab, and if you look at this new CBA, a lot of people think it's going to bring more parity to the league. Now, with the Phoenix Suns going after all of the stars that they have, trading for Kevin Durant, having Devin Booker on the roster, then trading for Bradley Beal, they are one of the exceptions, but there's exceptions to everything. It does look like more parity is possible here with the new CBA in place. So the union has argued, though, that the new rules won't limit spending or tamp down on creative roster building, but instead will actually foster both. And so for starters, there will only be a handful of teams flirting with or exceeding the second the second apron, which means that you're going to have to delve into the luxury tax a little bit more, something that Michael Jordan notoriously has not gone into because they haven't had a winning product, and also that's a chicken or the egg conversation. But also for the vast majority of teams, the new rules have both given the franchises more tools to build out their rosters and make it necessary to spend more money earlier. You wonder if some of these teams that are big game hunting that don't want to exceed the second apron, which means being able to dish out enough money to keep stars on their squads. Maybe the stars that are looking for bigger money can't go join a super team with this one franchise. And maybe that allows your Indiana's, your Charlotte's to be right there saying, Hey, you know, we got some money to hand out. We also have LaMelo ball, right? So let's give you the second big contract. We'll see what happens with a Brandon Miller, you know, coming into his own in the NBA. I think those opportunities could be there. And so maybe that's one way to go big game hunting, but I just want them to be active. Yes. We haven't seen them active in free agency the last couple of seasons. Everything they've done is try to retain their own guys where we can go to Al Jefferson and Gordon Hayward being the biggest free agent acquisition they've had going back within the last five years, mm -hmm. maybe even trading for Terry Rozier. Man, what about the last three? I, Kelly Oubre, is that the biggest free agent signing they've had in the last three seasons? I would think so, yeah. I can't think of anybody else. Even, even with me appreciating the things that Kelly Oubre brought to this franchise, a $12 million non-guaranteed deal can't be the biggest signing you've made, right? Cody Martin, $8 million a year last season, didn't even play many games last year. I can't, 
I can't think of the bigger ones. And I think that's what you're talking about. Yeah. Big game can mean a few different things. I just want you to get involved in the game. No doubt. That's what I want. Being active, definitely. Just let the fans know that you're trying. That's the biggest thing. (laughs) Are you trying? We're trying, Jennifer. Right. We're trying. (laughs) We're trying to be active in free agency. It just didn't work out for us. But Mitch Kupchak is telling you, hey, we're not even really active here. We'll build through the draft. And even PJ, even Dennis Smith Jr., even some of the guys that you thought they were going to bring back, nope. They're moving on and floating in the air that is the free agent market. Let's move on. Let's talk more about college football. ACC Media Days coming up. We want to get you ready for some of the bigger storylines, and we want to know what you would most like to know from some of these figures that will be showing up, like a Cade Klubnick, like a Mitch Griffiths, a Riley Leonard, some of these QBs and coaches that are showing up to ACC Media Days. Write in your biggest ACC football questions, 704-570-9610. We answer them on the other side of the break. It's Wesson Walker, Sports Radio, 92.7 WFNZ. We're back. This is the Wesson Walker Show, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Hit us up on the text line 704-570-9610. And ACC Media Days are this week, starting tomorrow through Thursday. It's three days this year, not two days. So you're going to get more uh, ACC media coverage spread out throughout the three days instead of it just being two Uh, which is pretty cool because those can be some long days speaking from experience, having, uh, you know, more teams coming in. The days get a little bit longer, but it's going to be interesting. The ACC has put out the attendees among some of the big stars. Of course, you would think the quarterbacks, they're going to be the stars of the show. Riley Leonard, Drake May, Cade Klubnick. And, you know, uh, I don't know if you guys knew this, uh, Walker. Did you know that that was made a rule after Clemson did not bring Trevor Lawrence one year? They said, no, no, this is not going to happen again. Yeah, so I actually do. <laughs> has to bring their quarterback. Oh, I do. Who did they bring that year? It was, it was two defensive guys? Uh, if I'm if I remember correctly, I think they bought uh, Big John, the offensive lineman, John Simpson, I think, or Simpson. And he plays for the Raiders now. I think it was the year they... Oh, I, well, I remember one year, maybe I'm wrong, and it wasn't like they didn't bring any stars, but was it the same year they brought Christian Wilkins and Cleveland Furl? Maybe that was two separate I think that seasons. was it. So I maybe, think that was it. Which, honestly, that one's okay. You're mm-hmm. talking about two first-round picks, but there was one yeah. year you're right about that. Yeah, you wanted Trev, though. Everybody wanted this. 100%, and they didn't do it, and then so there were some teams protecting their guy, whereas Dino Babers... It was their quarterback, Tom something. I forget his Tommy name. Tommy DeVito. There you go. Tommy DeVito. But nobody cared was there. Well, he, but, <laughs> and, and he was scared to death. I mean, yeah. it, it was, it was one of the more, oh, okay. He's a really young QB. And Dino was saying he needs to get used to this stuff. I'm bringing him here in order to get him ready for the limelight because he's going to be the starting quarterback. And this was right after another successful quarterback that they had in Eric Dungy. Yes. So it was DeVito right after that. And he needed to learn right now. I thought that was a really cool approach. Not that Trevor Lawrence needed to get past getting used to the limelight or anything, but I just, if, if you're asking me what road I'd want to take, what approach I'd want to take with my new starting QB, love what Dino Baber said when he brought DeVito the one time. Yeah, I think that was pretty cool, man. Just talking about Eric Dungey, I think he's one of the more underrated Loved quarterbacks him. ever. Loved you're him. You're talking about fearless. I mean, getting flipped, getting hit. That guy used to take some too shots. Much. It was too much. Yeah. I mean, and he was injured. And, and that's why DeVito, I think, got some snaps that year, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Before he had to start after Dungey left. 
Totally with you. Love Derek Dungy. That's one of the random ACC football legends. Yeah, and I think when you, when you look into the record books, man, he's definitely top five all-time in total yards, man. I mean, this guy will come out every week and give you 250 to 300 passing yards and then hit you with 100, 100 to 20. Uh, 120 rushing yards, man. He he would leave it all out on the so field. so. Right now, you're telling me that we had a full segment derailed by Kirk Cousins or Jake Delhomme. Now you're about to do Eric Dungy. And, and now I'm looking up Eric right. Dungy stats. I'm That's gonna get what I'm this. Doing. I'm gonna get this bus back on the road. So Fiddy and Flyn are both repping Carolina today, rocking their <laughs> number tens. Fiddy has on the Drake May special today, and so he will be in the building, and he's no doubt the star of this media day. Every media day has the star and then other stars, and I think there's no question that Drake May is the star of this. Everybody's going to want to get a piece of him, ask him what it's going to be like to be a Heisman Trophy candidate, and what it's going to be like to be a top five pick and all of these things and uh, competing with Caleb Williams and the like. Is that how you feel about this? Is Drake, Ma- Drake May, goodness gracious, the star of this media day, and mm. then there's everyone else? I think so. I don't know who else is in that same neighborhood. Yeah. And I know Kate Klubnick is coming in. I know Kate Klubnick is someone. And Jordan Travis would probably be right there as well. Those are the two names you think of. Yes. But, Wes, I still think Drake May is in a separate neighborhood. No question. I do. Kate Klubnick is someone that it's – I don't know how polarizing he is. I just know that you're someone that isn't fully on the Kate Klubnick bandwagon. And I'm going to tell you right now, don't expect much as far as answers go. You're going to get – you could pretty much predict what he's going to tell you in every answer. (laughs) (laughs) I'll tell you that now. He's all shut (laughs) I'm not going to say anything that's going to make anybody at Clemson upset. Um, Jordan Travis is, I think, for most people, going to be the second-rated QB in the ACC this year, right behind Drake May. But if you're being talked about as a guy that is competing with Caleb Williams, the Heisman winner from last year, as the number one quarterback, the number one overall pick in this upcoming NFL draft, I just don't think there's anybody that's going to carry the same popularity that Drake May is coming into these ACC media days. I think what's going to be interesting, too, is my interactions with Jordan Travis when he comes into our room, the ACC digital network I'm talking about, and when he comes into our room because he left a little remark on one of my quarterback power rankings videos when I had him third, and he put a little wink emoji uh, oh, there. you love it, though, right? I loved it. That's what I'm saying. So I can't wait to see how he's going to react when he sees me because I think it might be a little bit of – smiling what's up and then it's gonna be like yeah i know what you were did you put riley leonard second uh in that one yes i believe yeah he was second so you had drake may one and I think in that one, yes. If All right. I'm not mistaken. And Jordan Travis gave you a wink. All right. Yeah, he gave me a little wink, man. They don't the FSU fans, they don't like that, man. They 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 used to get really upset <laughs> with my quarterback rankings. But when you finally beat somebody of uh, importance and don't lose your three most important games on the schedule consecutively. <laughs> this, see, this is I'm not thing. talking about Drake May. No, I know. Oh, I know. No, I thought no, it's, it's it's reaction. I thought he was thinking I was talking about Drake May, but when you lose your three most important games on the schedule, consecutively and you don't play that great. You Are know, you throwing shade to Jordan Travis no, right now? I'm saying it. I'm saying All names. Right. I'm naming names. I am pop. No, I, I know you are. So that'll be it now. <laughs> Riley Leonard, that's going to be a lot better interaction when we're scheduled to talk with him oh, this yeah. week. That's going to be a love fest. Oh, there's not going to be any problem. There's not going to be any Man, problem Mitch whatsoever. Griffiths, uh-huh. you know, it's going to be a love fest yep. when that happens. 
No Gary Schrader coming through, too, to show some love. Queen City, Gary mm-hmm. Schrader coming through. So that's going to be interesting as well. So what do you feel like at the quarterback position, though, is the biggest ACC wild card? Because a lot of these guys, all of them will be in attendance as well. And we talked about this in the fishbowl earlier. And so I'll kick the conversation off saying Tyler Van Dyke of Miami. He is a guy that had all the potential in the world his first year starting a couple of seasons ago. He looked to be in what I predicted, Miami's first first-round quarterback in quite some time. I thought that he was going to light the world up last year, but it was not to be injuries. And then an offense that many people blamed on my ex-teammate Josh Gaddis at Miami, saying that that was not the offense for him. But I'll tell you right now, when I talk about some of the guys I was most impressed by this spring, he was one of them. He looked like Tyler Van Dimes, the nickname that he garnered a couple seasons ago he was throwing it in there man so he looks rejuvenated and ready to go in this new offense in Miami all right so if we do the biggest wild card we'll also go to a text that we got in one of the questions I led with or I ended the last segment with Matt in Greensboro said will the Armstrong Anai combo repeat the success at NC State they had at Virginia and that's what I'm rolling with I think Brandon Armstrong is the biggest wild card yes Wolfpack James you're right when you write that in is it Brandon Armstrong is there anybody more of a wild card than him i don't think so tyler van dyke is a good answer i probably have more faith that that can be restored with armstrong we got the highest of the highs two years ago under robert and i who was there as the offensive coordinator where he was running and throwing for monster totals every single week and then last year tony elliott comes in and it's nowhere close not even and i was definitely that had to be my biggest shock of last season, how bad Tony Elliott did. Continue. So I just think with the wide range of outcomes there, even if you are going to have someone that comes in that helps you throw for 4,500 yards and 31 touchdowns two years ago, that offense that averaged 35 points per game, far from it with Tony Elliott coming in. And even with Clemson fans kind of saying, see, we told you so with Tony Elliott being Mm -hmm. the offensive coordinator, they had problems with what he did at Clemson and then moving on to be the head coach at Virginia. I didn't think it would be that bad, right? I, I mean, not you, either. And so I think there is something there. I think Armstrong under Dave Doran, back with his offensive coordinator that he was able to make things work with in Charlottesville two years ago, I actually think, yep, he's the biggest wild card to me, but I think it's going to work out this season for NC State. Yeah, and I think the thing about it is Brennan Armstrong, he had to be shell-shocked. That offensive line was wild. I mean, watching the games, it was just jarring to see an offensive line Uh, be as bad as they were you're just not used to seeing things like that and so that was the thing with Virginia I know he had lost some receivers but Virginia's offense it was putrid to say the least so I think that's going to be interesting and then my man Mitch Griffiths from Wake Forest as I said Coach Clawson said that he had one of the best springs ever for a Wake Forest quarterback we know the success and the gaudy numbers that quarterbacks have put up in that offense whether you talk about Jamie Newman or Sam Hartman now comes Mitch Griffiths who uh, doesn't necessarily have the requisite size. You're talking 5'10", about 195 pounds, but he's got a live arm. He can throw it all over the park. Completed over 70% of his passes during the spring. And yeah, Wake Forest has one of the more underrated receiving cores as well. When you talk about Donovan Green, Taylor Moore, and they got a kid, Wesley Grimes, uh, that you're going to hear about, and Jamal Banks, that was one of the ACC leaders in receiving touchdowns. So he's got weapons to throw the football to. So uh, I've, I've got the, I've got 
got him as well as one of those wild cards. Uh, Fiddy, I want to go to you on this. 704 had a Carolina football question. Do you all think Carolina's defensive struggles were more Gene Chizik not having a scheme fit or guys on the player, uh, guys on the roster, maybe not buying in? What was the reason for most of the defensive struggles that Carolina suffered last year? Yes, it was okay. both. Now, I, if, if I had to be honest, I, I think a lot of it was, was player led. Like, I think there was a lack of buy in. There was a lack of leadership. You had guys punching dudes while you're giving up 45 points to Notre Dame at home on my birthday. Thanks for that, Carolina. That's not personal. Um, <laughs> so, like, I mean, that was always my thing because, like, Gene Chizik, the reason why everyone's so optimistic about the hire is you go and look at what he did in 2015 with that defense. That defense doesn't have half the talent Carolina has on that side of the ball now. And the defense was arguably worse last year than it was under Jay Bateman at any point during his time as a defensive coordinator. So I feel like he's smart enough to, to fix the issues. And I think you've seen Carolina change up the type of player that they're recruiting to get more team guys instead of me guys. And if that happens, it really comes down to that defensive line. All right. So here we are talking about the coaching staff talent. You do have a decent amount of changes there where North mm -hmm. Carolina is dealing with the new offensive coordinator, Clemson, Garrett Riley coming in, one of the higher anticipated moves of the offseason. Here we are talking about the offensive coordinator with NC State. Now, we can also go defensively and just overall head coach wise, I should say, because there's not much turnover this offseason, Wes. If you go to some new coaches, you have Pry at Georgia Tech. Or, excuse me, Key. I always get the Brents mixed up, man. That's what That's happens. So, <laughs> Key at Georgia Tech, but he took over last year and did a good job when he took over. So, he's not real fresh. He's not 100% new. Jeff Brom is the only guy that is coming in as the outright, straight-up new head coach in the ACC. The new guy. But you have four second-year dudes. And then if you want to talk about the interims, like the Key who took over, then you even have five <laughs> if you want to count him. So... Out of all the second-year coaches to take over in 2023, whether you're talking about Elko, Cristobal, Elliott, Pry, any of those coaches, and you can put Key into this mix if you want to, who do you think has the most success and builds where they left off last year? And not even building from an Elliott standpoint, because it was a real disappointing year for Virginia, but he can, can he get things back on track? What is the guy that you believe in most out of the second-year coaches? Woo, um, I'm going to go with... Mario Cristobal at Miami just because I like the way the way that he's building when you talk about the recruiting class that they had last year 13th overall according to 24-7 when you look at that 2023 recruiting class 8th in the country but you want to look at the guys at the top of those classes. I see two offensive tackles at the top of your 2023 class. And these guys are Mammoth, six, six, five and a half, 330 pounds. Francis Magoa and then Samson Okunlala. 6'5", 305 pounds. So I like that he's building in the trenches first. And I think that when he looked at this team, he felt like this is where it has to start. Uh, I think Miami, when you look at them defensively, they've got a lot of really, really good players uh, on that side of the ball. But I think offensively, he wants to build there, get the quarterback play going. But one thing I will say, Walker, is that if some of these guys don't get it done, we'll be having a much different conversation next season because there will be a few new head coaches because be. some heads are going to roll if some guys don't get it going this year. Well, Wes, I'm also shocked. You didn't go with Duke. You didn't go with your boy Riley Leonard. And I think by indirect comparison, Mike Elko, who did such a great job with Duke, who you are very high on, pointing to a lot of the returnees. I'm going with Elko 
Because if you have all of those guys returning, if you have one of the better offensive lines in all of college football, sure. and you have that guy that you've ranked number one even in the ACC mm-hmm. at the quarterback well position, deserved. something that you've done before, <laughs> and even defensively, I expect them to be better because they do have some guys coming back on that side as well. It wasn't a fluke in my opinion. Think about the biggest surpassing of expectations that you had with any of these coaches. Cristobal didn't live up to him, mm-hmm. as far as I'm concerned. So, yeah, you can expect him to get it back on track for sure. But the the thing that I feel most comfortable saying, whether it mean Elliott, Cristobal getting back on track, Elko actually l- picking up where he left off, I'm going with Mike Elko with the supporting cast that he was able to win with despite our low expectations of them coming into this season. I Yeah, it, you've been on the Duke train this entire time, but – it, it, not too many cars behind you. Like, I'm on the same path as you are, and that's why I'm going with Elko. Yeah, no, I like that selection as well, and I felt like that was a given, man. I tried to go with a little bit of a different <laughs> direction. Plus, Miami, just the high-end talent that yeah. they get, though. And that's the thing. What can he do with that? But, yes, of course, Duke, uh, I love what they're bringing to the table, Coach Elko, and maybe he could be uh, a guy that's on the outs just because of the fact of how well they could do this season and how hard it may be for him to be able to come back with all the offers that he's going to get. That's that's the mm. thing that stinks about uh, situations like that, man, is that you are excited to win if you're a program like Duke, but then you're like, man, everybody's going to be coming after our coach. Um, Just to rank real quickly, let's go rapid fire. I, I think the best coaches of those four right now, given what they've done with this current university, I would go with Elko number one, better coaching job than Cristobal. I know Cristobal has the success. Sure. We're going with what they did last year. Elko, Cristobal, Elliott's last, and I put pride number three. What do you expect for Virginia Tech this season? It's just, there's so much damage control. There's so much salvaging that needs to be done with what has been a historic college football program. There's still lots of tradition. I know, I I was looking at Fiddy, because I know you have your Frank Beamer take, and that he's the only one that has given that to Blacksburg. But even still... You expect good football from Blacksburg, and we haven't gotten it in a while. Yeah, I mean, just the recruiting hasn't been there, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Virginia's always been a football-rich state, but when you talk about Grant Wells at quarterback, he's good, but he's nobody you're going to write home about. And then when you look at this offense, just a lot of unproven, a lot of unknown, and this is a Virginia Tech program that produces stars offensively and defensively. Don't see many of those on either side of the ball because we're going to have a top 25 uh, coming up by the end of the summer heading into the season. Don't have a Virginia Tech program player to speak of in said 25. I know we have one more flash to get to. I thought Wolfpack James asked a good question. Are expectations so high with Duke this year, though, that it will be tough for Mike Elko to have a successful season? And to that, I say good question. Still definitely no. Because Duke is not asking you to win the ACC championship exactly. even after what you accomplished last year. You can get to eight wins and be just fine, right? Yeah. Or they want to start with a bowl game and then everything else yep. on top is yep. icing on the cake. Yep, 100%. Good question, but that's why I think he's in a really good spot. Because oh, yeah. if you win eight games and you're competitive in those losses where you're playing meaningful contest all throughout the year, it's all you want as a Duke Blue Devil football fan. All right, last flash of the day, Fiddy. Let's get it. Not a lot of news in the sports world. Update you on some afternoon baseball. The Tigers lead the Giants 3-1 in the bottom of the sixth. Some big series taking place this week. You got the Orioles in Philadelphia. That's tonight at 640. 
West, your Mariners, they're in Minnesota at 740, a big series for both of those teams. That's right, baby. And then in the AL West, the Rangers visit Houston with a three-game lead. So some important series getting started tonight and a development that took place on Saturday, hanging out with Flounder. Hockey Fitty kind of uh, oh, made, his, made his return. This was such a disaster the first time around, Fitty. What's going on? And and, and Flounder, we, we shook hands like men and came to an agreement. I've been welcomed into the Ranger fan base. He said, I couldn't join during the season because it was bandwagon-ish behavior. But now that the season's over, we're getting ready for the next season because training camp for hockey is like a month away, by the way. I don't know if you would have should have admitted this. It was such a disaster the first go around. Right. You went to a Twitter poll to yeah. ask who you should be a fan of. You got into it with Panthers fans. You got into it with people here on the station trying to figure out, like, we even had a Jets fitty show up because you were also looking for a new hockey team. It made you question your football fandom. Mm-hmm. I just don't want that same mistake from you again. <laughs> just, please just stick with this team and then let's move on. I'm glad Flounder welcomed you. All right. Well, when we come back, we close this thing down on the Weston Walker Show Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. this thing it's weston walker sports radio 92.7 wfnz with an eventful weekend at least for wes and i wes he went to the movies yes no a lot of people out there did getting ready for barbenheimer now i didn't <laughs> see either one of the movies uh-huh all i saw was mission impossible seven yes i didn't realize it was a part one by the way uh-huh so just to give everybody a heads up i'm not going to give anything away but at the end of mission impossible seven part one now that i know it I thought, wait, we're three hours in and we haven't done what is the main objective of this particular movie. Mm-hmm. Are we really about, are we serious? Are we going to try to prolong this? And eventually, yeah, my girlfriend said, yes, it's part two. This was always going to happen. And so it made more sense. Really liked it. Would not call Tom Cruise a system actor. That's right. Because of the conversation that we had. Because Drew and Fiddy, more so Fiddy, I think just wanting to rile you up more so than yeah, what he yeah. actually believes. But... I loved the idea, the conversation of Tom Cruise being a system actor and not being good on his own, that he was only successful because Kyle Shanahan ran a great system. You know what I'm saying? Like one Mm -hmm. of those Jimmy G. I didn't know if Tom Cruise was Jimmy G or not. (laughs) I kept trying to put somebody in that spot and it just didn't hit the same for me. And I'm a big James Bond fan. Daniel Craig days. Daniel Craig is very good. But even then, it's a different dynamic. So really liked it. I you you'll be happy to know that I really enjoyed yeah. Mission Impossible Seven Part One, and Tom Cruise did a great job. Yeah, and you texted me about it too, man. I did. And I was like, yeah, man, it's no joke. I, I don't want to give away anything either, but we can talk about it off mic. But there were just scenes in there that just took it to another level. We'll talk about that. But yeah, we don't yes. have to give too much uh, detail. Yes. But all right, so Barbenheimer, Oppenheimer, or Barbie, uh-huh. huge monster opening weekend. For both films, Mm -hmm. I saw more Barbie goers on my timeline. Wes was one of them. I definitely was. My girl wanted to see Barbie from the jump. And I'm not going (laughs) to lie, when I first saw they were making this movie, I just, I didn't get it. I was like, why 
are they making this? What's it going to be like? Then I started to see more as the movie got closer, the messaging and some of the things in it. But uh, when we went to check it out, man, it, it was a pretty good movie. It's at 90% um, Rotten Tomatoes, 90% audience score, and it's got an A cinema score. It, it's a pretty good movie, man, uh, uh, the messages and all the stuff like that in it. So I was pleasantly surprised. It's been my surprise of the year so far movie-wise. I didn't think it, that I was going to enjoy it. I heard nothing but good things. Yeah. The timeline, it's trippy, but it's good. The, the timeline loves it. The men that went there that you might question the demographic going, the men loved it, thought it was great. Thought well, that, you get Margot Robbie, well, and she looked... I knew I knew Margot Robbie was going to be a big draw, totally. <laughs> but also, apparently, it's legitimately funny, right? Yeah, it is. It is. Like I said, it's trippy, too. Some of the stuff they do in there gets a little cartoonish at times with some of the things that they do. But like I said, the messaging... Messaging. Uh, there were times in there I caught my girl with the tears rolling down. Oh, Barbie's a tearjerker. Yeah, there's some hard hitting moments in there because you know that it's it's a, a you know definitely hits for the feminists especially, and they talk about what it's like being a woman and having to be perfect and all that stuff. So definitely for the women that go see it, they're gonna shed a few tears. When you went. Was everyone dressed in pink? Uh, it was not. And I definitely took a moment to scan over the crowd just to see <laughs> the diversity of the fan base because that was something, too, that I was thinking about when the movie came out. And uh, there was a woman sitting next to me that had to be probably late 60s, older black woman that was there by herself to see it. Uh, you had, you know, the audience was young and old alike, man. So a lot of nostalgia there. So it was a very diverse crowd. But no, to answer your question, I didn't see everybody there. But from a lot of the people that I saw walking out were not dressed as Barbie. I know my girl wore some pink, though, yeah. to represent. Did you but, wear any pink Jordans or anything like that? I did not. I actually, when we went to hang out the other night, you know the pink soccer shirt that I had on yeah, the yeah, other yeah. day? Uh, I wore that the night before. And they said, you are a day early. Oh, you should have wore that. 100%. Yeah, you should have worn that. Because that thing is hot pink. That thing will slap you in the face. Yeah, definitely. That shirt that you wear. Fiddy also, he wants to go see Oppenheimer. It's the lone movie we have not talked about that is heavily viewed over the weekend. So Oppenheimer, is that something you're going to go see with Flounder or somebody like that? Fiddy, maybe you can take this Tinder match to Oppenheimer. <laughs> oh, you have a long time to be with it because it's three hours. That's right. Yeah, I don't know. Like, you know, it's 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 a three-hour film, but, like, I, I've seen some stuff, like, um, like, on my TikTok, some actual, I guess, interviews with the guy talking about it, which that's what really got me interested was, okay, this is how he was post what he created you know, don't ruin it. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I'm I'm very I'm very <laughs> interested in, in the movie. It's been a long time since I've wanted to go see a movie actually in the movies. When is the last? What's the last one you saw? Last movie I saw was was Doctor uh, West. Doctor Strange came out after Spider Man, right? The Which one you talking about? The, the, the multiverse. Yes, it did. That was the last uh, vehicle I saw in theaters. What? <laughs> Why are you saying it doesn't make any sense? It's not a movie. It's not a vehicle. Oh, the yes, it is. He's been saying this all day, and he did that right at the end of the show <laughs> the to, to bother me. It's the last vehicle I saw. Like, what are you talking about? Um, is that a long time ago? When was Doctor Strange released, Wes? Um, is that surprising? What was it, like two years ago, I think? Yeah, oh, really, so not bad. Yeah, we're going, yeah. Not bad. Oh, we've been going to the movies a little bit more here lately. Popcorn, still. I've seen like four movies or something. Well, you are you are the, the biggest movie goer I know. That is okay. in my life. I mean, I don't know of anybody that beats you. Okay. I mean, you how many times a month do you go? 
Uh, it just depends, man. I mean, I, there's months where I don't go, but then like this summer, as I've said, probably in the last three months, I've seen probably five or six movies. All right. You've given me a lot of uh, cheat codes in the movie-going experience. <laughs> I so did. Maybe I can start to apply that as I start to up my game a little as well. That'll do it. That was Wesson Walker. We'll be back tomorrow with you from 12 to 3 p.m. Coming up next, it's Kyle Bailey alongside Smoke Ludwig on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.